If uh, you were here last Sunday evening, we looked at the prophetic office of Christ and how that related to the ascension, and we saw that there are many similarities between the ascension of Christ and the office of a prophet, um, specifically the the various characteristics uh, of a prophet um, and and what we see in Christ's ascension. And one of the things that uh, that I said last Sunday evening was that we're going to uh, we're going to look at uh, next Sunday evening, which is this Sunday evening, how the prophetic office of Christ. So Christ as prophet, uh, when he ascends to heaven, it doesn't stop. So Christ is not up in heaven merely doing nothing. Uh, theologians call this the finished yet ongoing work of Christ. Right? So we know that Christ's work is finished. We amen that. Uh, when Christ sat on the cross, it is finished. Hebrews 1 says that he sat down. We understand that there is nothing uh, that man needs to do, or rather that Christ needs to do any further uh, for us to be saved uh, and, and all that. But yet, we do understand that uh, there is a ongoing work of Christ. What is the ongoing work of Christ? Well, it's simply bringing his elect home. Uh, it's simply uh, indwelling his people with the Holy Spirit to move them toward that ultimate good, which is eternal Sabbath rest, beatific vision, dwelling and being with God, all those things, which we'll talk about a little bit this evening. Um but uh, but this is what I mean. I thought you were getting the party started <laughs> when I heard that little. Tss, I think of Coke. Uh, <laughs> but um, well, when we when we uh, when we consider uh, the threefold office of Christ, um, we must begin with the prophetic office of Christ and how Jesus Christ in heaven continues his prophetic office through the church. And that's what I'm going to argue this evening is that Jesus Christ continues his office of a prophet through the church. So uh, you might hear me say this evening, you are prophets. Okay? Um, don't get uh, alarmed. Um, and uh, don't think that, uh, you know, I'm already preaching the things that uh, we know that we shouldn't be listening to or anything like that, right? Um, or rather, the things that we shouldn't be affirming. <clears throat> but I hope we make it. I make it at least clear of how we are an extension of the office of prophet um, that Christ has undertook. And this is really a glorious, glorious thing. How are we, or how does Christ continue his office of prophet? Well, he does so through the church. I'm just going to give you three points, simple points, <clears throat> for you to consider uh, in understanding this, this wonderful, wonderful truth. Uh, number one, Christ sends his spirit to all, and by the Spirit, the church continues the prophetic office of Christ. That's number one. Christ sends his Spirit to all. And by the Spirit, the church continues the prophetic office of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that we learned about those in the Old Testament that were prophets was what? Well, the, one of the first things was that they were indwelt by the Spirit. The prophets... In the Old Testament, or any prophet, must be indwelt by the Spirit. And if I'm going to make a claim that Jesus Christ 
continues his office of prophet in heaven through the church, then first and foremost, the church must have the spirit. And that is a prerequisite for someone to be a prophet. They must have the spirit. The Gospel of John emphasizes this theme uh, and even argues that Jesus going away is better. Okay, we read in John 16, 7, Jesus says this, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That Jesus tells the disciples, especially in John 3, on John 16, this moment, um, when Christ is, you know, really biting down on them and telling them, hey, I'm going to go. I'm leaving, right? And the disciples are in despair because Christ is leaving. But he says, but if I don't go, the helper won't come. And actually, it's your, it's your to, uh, it's your, uh, to your advantage that I leave, right? Who want, I mean, imagine, uh, your mother or father, grandmother, whoever that is closest to you is about to die and tells you it's actually better if I do die for your sake. That's kind of weird, right? Um, but Christ says here that, that the coming of the Spirit, it depended upon, and when Christ says that I'm going away, he's talking about his ascension. He's talking about uh, 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 ascending to the right hand of the Father. He's saying that me leaving, me ascending, right? If I don't ascend, uh, then the Spirit will not come. And notice that Jesus says it's better. Again, it's better that Christ goes away. Now, if we were to do a poll before I even read this, and I said, would, do you wish that Christ was here on earth? I'm sure many of us would say yes. But Christ says it's not better, at least for this time, that I am here with us. Right? <clears throat> but he says that in order for the Spirit to come, and mind you, he doesn't mean that the Spirit's never been there. That's important to understand, too. When we think of the Helper coming, the Spirit coming, we might think that, well, the Spirit's never been there. In the first time in history, Jesus is saying the Spirit will be there. I mean, how were the Old Testament saints saved? By the Spirit. And being indwelt by the Spirit. But here Christ is saying, rather, the Spirit coming in a greater measure. In a greater measure. Now, the question is, why is it better that Christ go away? Two reasons. Number one, as we just alluded to, or actually number two, but this is the first reason. Jesus leaving was superior. Why, why is it better that Christ go away? Jesus leaving was superior because the incarnate Lord was limited by space in time by virtue of his humanity. That's a mouthful, but it's very simple, right? I'll say it again. Jesus leaving was superior. It's better because the incarnate Lord was limited by space and time by virtue of his humanity. So let me first tell you what I'm not saying. Okay. What I'm not saying is when the eternal son became a man, assumed a true human flesh, he stopped being omnipresent. That's not what I'm saying. And I hope you don't leave here and say, Isaiah thinks that uh, the, what the incarnation entails is the eternal son removing from himself divine attributes. Like, don't say that, okay? I'll be very, very sad if you said that. And don't believe that either. Uh, when the eternal son assumed a true human flesh, he did not stop being God at all. There was nothing that Jesus Christ, or rather the eternal son, um, um, took off in order for him to become human. 
Okay, so Jesus Christ did not stop being omnipresent. God did not stop being God. God did not stop being omnipresent. Okay, but when we consider when Christ took on a human nature, we have to at least affirm that Jesus Christ physically couldn't be everywhere at all times. Am I right about that? At least, I mean, he took on a true human flesh. So that must mean that he was material. He was creaturely, right? He had, he was only bound to a certain location. So that means that he couldn't be, uh, in Jerusalem and at the same time be in Samaria. Physically. That's really the key word there. Physically. He couldn't physically be at two places at once because you can't do it. So we can say that Christ's earthly ministry was limited to a certain area. Wherever Christ was at, he was physically bound to that area. Now, it doesn't mean that if Christ is in Jerusalem and someone is dying in Samaria and prays to God, that God won't answer that prayer. Of course, right? But Jesus Christ can't extend his arm you know, if you ever watch Space Jam, Michael Jordan extends his arm to do the, you know, uh, the slam dunk it. Christ doesn't extend his arm, right, in order to heal someone in Samaria. It doesn't work that way. Christ was limited um, <clears throat> because he was human, right? And this is why it was essential for Christ to ascend. But also this is why it is better for Christ to ascend. It's better. As one theologian says, when Jesus left earth... His prophetic voice became cosmic in scope. With the arrival of the Spirit, Jesus' presence and words could fill the world in a more expansive way. That's a very, very, very good quote there. That Christ's words were not limited merely to a specific location, but rather it can go to Samaria at the same time be in Jerusalem. Now, not physically, right? But spiritually, but also physically too, because if you have two believers, one in Samaria and, and one in Jerusalem, Christ is there. We'll get there. We see this also in the book of Acts, uh, where the disciples and the followers of Christ are empowered by the Spirit and were able to go to places and preach at places where Christ physically never went to and was unable to go. That's what we see in Acts. We see them indwelt by the Spirit and they're going to the places where Christ physically never went. And Jesus leaving doesn't mean that his disciples were left alone and hopeless. For when Christ ascended, he sent the Spirit in a greater measure. He sent the Spirit in a greater measure. We see this greater outpouring of the Spirit, specifically in Acts 2, where after Christ's ascension, the disciples received the Spirit in a greater measure. And we see at sermon, at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 36 that the Spirit comes upon every man from every, or rather upon men from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Acts 2, if you ever get a chance, read Acts 2 verses 14 through 36. A wonderful, wonderful example of the Spirit coming upon all types of men. Right? Men from every part of the land. Peter says that this outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh 
is the fulfillment of Joel 2. Where God says in Joel 2, in the Old Testament, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So Peter is saying, what's happening here in Acts 2 is what was prophesied in Joel 2 and what God said. Right? So we see the first reason why it is better for Christ to ascend so that he could send the spirit to indwell his people. Um, the second reason why it is better for Christ to leave is so he can be more present with his people. More present with his people. Okay? Christ's absence does not totally mean that he's left the scene. Because Christ isn't physically here doesn't mean that he is uh, not here at all. Um, in fact, Christ leaving means he's even more present with his believers. Christ leaving means that he's more present. Not less present, but more present. Consider two statements from Jesus in John 14. John 14, 18, Christ says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. That's interesting, right? He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come to you. And in John 14, 28, you heard, say that, uh, you heard that I said to you, I am not going away and I am coming to you. So here, so here Christ is telling the disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to come to you. I will be with you. So what Christ is saying is, and this is glorious, although I am leaving you physically, in a real sense, I will be with you. Spiritually. Saints, um, side note, we aren't to rebuke any sort of the, when people start talking about the spiritual realm. Anything spiritual. And we're going to talk about this next week. Yes, there is a, there is a, an area in which we can, um, we can get too invested and too spiritualized or rather hyper spiritualized the spiritual realm. Okay? But we aren't to think that because Christ isn't here physically and because we're not literally eating upon the body and blood of the Lord, um, that there's nothing happening. But rather, Christ is with us in a spiritual way. Not physical, but in a spiritual way, um, which is as real as the physical way. I mean, you are united to Christ spiritually. It doesn't because you are not literally morphed into Jesus Christ physically. It doesn't mean that you're not united to Him, but you're united to Him spiritually. The presence of the Spirit, simply put, is the, is the presence of Christ. The presence of the Spirit is the presence of Christ. Wherever the Spirit is at, Christ is there as well. For the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says in John fifteen twenty six to twenty seven. But when the Helper comes. Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So by Christ ascending, by him going to the right hand of the Father, 40 days after his death or resurrection, that doesn't mean that he's absent in the fullest sense, but rather his presence is known, but in a different way. Just like we say that we are eating upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified, but in a different manner. Not in a physical manner, but in a different manner. Well, what's this different manner? Spiritually. Christ is here spiritually. If you have the Spirit, then Christ dwells within you. Because wherever one person in the Trinity is at, the other one will be there as well. <clears throat> one theologian says, even if Jesus appears to be absent from His church... 
In one sense, he is, in fact, more profoundly and intimately present to the church in another sense. And this other sense is Christ's presence by the Holy Spirit in the hearts and souls of the believer. So Christ is here, spiritually, if you have the Spirit. Last quote, one theologian says, the, or rather the same theologian, the ascension is therefore good news because Christ now fills his people by his presence, or with his presence, by the Spirit, and the Spirit transcends the boundaries of time and space. The prophetic works of Jesus are now carried out by his witnesses who are empowered by the Spirit. What this means is not that Christ's prophetic work has ceased, but the Spirit of Christ continues to radiate Christ. Okay? Let's now consider the second point, and that is Jesus continues his prophetic office through his word. Through his word or by his word. One another aspect of a prophet in the Old Testament was not only were they empowered by the Spirit, but they spoke the very words of God. They spoke on God's behalf. They warned the people, but also they strengthened the people of God by the Word of God. And likewise, in our present church age, Christ builds and strengthens His church through His Word. I mean, what got us through that time when all churches around us were closing down God's Word? What strengthened us ultimately? Well, it's not necessarily the preacher. It is the preacher preaching God's word. God's word is the the substance. God's word is the thing that causes us, um, in spite of whatever might happen in our lives, to keep pressing forward. What does God's word say? Right? We can say that the word of God is the prophetic tool of Christ here on earth. And God uses his people as prophets to speak that which God has revealed to us in his word. God uses you as his, or rather an extension of his prophetic office to preach and teach his word. Now notice saints, we are not speaking a new word. A lot of times when we correlate prophets and word, we think new word, new revelation. We are not speaking new revelation as God's prophets here on earth. But rather we only speak that um, that has been pinned for us in Holy Scripture. That's what we speak. That is the words we speak. Not new words, uh, but God's words that he has sat down for us that can never be added to those words that we have in Holy Writ. And in many ways, <clears throat> what we say uh, in this church age, in this age, as us as prophets, our word is much superior to what the prophets said of old. Our word, what we say, is much superior than what the prophets said of old. Now, that might seem strange to you. Uh, Lucy just gave me one of the strangest looks of all time. Thank you, Lucy. I was hoping that someone would find that very interesting. Um, and that's a very bold claim to make. Well, how can what we say be superior to what the prophets of old said? Second Peter 1, verses 16 through 19, which was read for us this morning. Um, <laughs> for we did not follow cleverly devised tells when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we receive honor, or for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So let me stop here. What Peter is doing here 
as he's saying that we saw all of these miraculous things concerning Christ. We saw physically with our corporeal eye, the risen ascended Jesus Christ. We saw him. And then he says in verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the prophetic word made more sure. What Peter is saying is, although the prophets of old spoke of Jesus, they spoke of Jesus in type and shadow. They spoke of a soon to come Christ. We're speaking of a has been here and has fulfilled Christ. We're speaking of a Christ not to come, but a Christ that has come. We speak of Christ in a more sure way because we're not speaking of the promised Christ. We're speaking of the fulfilled Christ. We're speaking of the Christ that has done all of what the Old Testament said he was going to do, and rather, and also what Christ himself said he was going to do. We have a more sure. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I say to you that the many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In many ways here, Christ is saying is what you are beholding is what the prophets of old long to behold. And that is what? That is simply seeing the one whom they were getting revelation of. uh, The one whom they were putting their faith and trust in. Now you see this one with your eyes. And also the message that you have is not just a good news of of, uh, Jesus Christ who is to come, who is to live, who is to die, but the one who has come. Right. We as Christ's prophets are herald of the good news of the gospel, a gospel that the Old Testament prophets and saints preached. I mean, we have to believe in the Old Testament that they preached the gospel the same way that we preach the gospel. However, their preaching of the gospel was in promissory form. Promissory form. This is what Paul says in Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son of God. But saints, we don't preach a promissory form of the gospel. We preach a fulfilled form of the gospel. We don't tell people, hey, Christ is going to come. He's going to live, die, and rise. But rather, we preach a gospel that says Christ has come. He has lived. He has died. He has risen. He has risen. This is why what we say, saints, is a more sure word than what the prophets of old were saying. It's the same word. It's just what we preach now is the one of fulfillment rather than one of promise. And saints, this more sure word is how Christ builds and strengthens his church. I mean, we don't we don't live in an age where we're longing for um, our redemption to, to take place. We're actually longing for the time when our redemption will be complete, when Jesus Christ will come. But we're not longing for a perfect righteousness to, to be to be given to us. We're not longing for a perfect sacrifice to be atoned for us. It's already happened. We're just waiting for our, our redemption to be complete. And we know that that will come when Christ comes for us. Christ continues his office of a prophet through his prophets on earth as they are indwelt by the Spirit, and we preach the Word of God. What is the Word of God? Well, yes, we can say all of what the Scripture says, but just to narrow it down, we preach the Gospel. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what we preach. 
The third and final point, and that is uh, Jesus continues his prophetic office through his church as they perform greater works than the prophets of old. Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter one and chapter four. And as the body of Christ, we, the church, we can say that are the prophetic hands and feet of our Lord. Uh, and this is what Jesus Christ alludes to in John fourteen twelve. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to my father. So here Christ makes a clear reference to his ascension. That he's going to the Father. And he says, after I ascend to the right hand of the Father, those who believe in me will do greater works. In other words, those on earth who believe in Christ will be the hands and feet of Christ and continue the work of Christ. Now the question is, what are these greater works? And this was a function of the prophet. If you remember our study on last last Sunday evening, Prophets performed signs and wonders to authenticate their word and authenticate their ministry. And here in John 14, Christ is saying, my people, those who are indwelt by the spirit, those who believe in me will do greater works even than I. Now, again, what are these greater works? Well, these greater works consist of two things, and they're really echoing our last point. We will do greater works in scope. We will do greater works in scope. As we already noted, Christ could not be everywhere all times physically. So the greater works, as one theologian says, the church can more expansively spread Christ's work because it is more widely dispersed. That means that we can have churches not merely in Bakersfield. We can have churches in Fresno. We can, we can, people can hear the gospel in New York, in Asia, places where Christ never went to, right? Uh, That's what's happening right now currently in the world. Those are one of the greater works that Christ says his church will do. Not that we're going to uh, heal more people than Christ healed. Uh, Not that we're going to do uh, such miraculous things uh, that Christ couldn't do or ever dreamed of doing. But rather, we're going to go to more places and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Places where he was unable to go. Number two, we will do greater works because of our word. Again, saints, we have already noted we preach a gospel of fulfillment. Not a, uh, we preach not a Christ who is to come, live and die and rise, but rather we preach a Christ who has come, has lived, has died, and has risen for us. So we preach a gospel in the truest sense of the world word. In the truest sense of the word. That we preach good news to people. Good news. We are the heralds of God's good news. So greater refers to both extent, but also the salvation historical placement. Therefore, we as Christ's prophets here on earth live in a better time, have a more sure word, and perform greater works than the prophets of old. And we continue this uh, great office of prophet alongside Jesus Christ. He's given to us this special gift. Now, in closing, how do we live in light of this sermon? And don't laugh at me. I couldn't find my water bottle, so I have to use <laughs> Owen's. In fact, I didn't bring a water bottle. Um, how do we live in light of this sermon? Two, two ways. This should be encouraging for us. I hope it was. Very, very encouraging. Number one, 
because we have the Holy Spirit, just as the prophets of old did. And number two, we have the gospel. How is this encouraging? Well, it's the things that we already know. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the gospel. Saints, you are, um, I mean, this morning was such a wonderful sermon, was it not? Um, to learn, and I mean, you can hear it as many times as you can, um, but allowing your heart to be open so that when the preacher says you are in communion with God and, and all those things and all those wonderful benefits uh, that we have in communion with God, um, it's such a miraculous and marvelous thing that God does for us. But saints, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how long it takes for a believer to really realize that. Just as I don't know how long it takes for a believer to really realize you're in communion with God when you are indwelt by the Spirit. But you are indwelt by the Spirit. And I can't really slice that so many ways for you to understand, but you have the third person of the Trinity living within you now. When I say third person of the Trinity, it doesn't mean that he's the third as far as rank. But you have God of God living within you. You have God living within you. And as I just said earlier... Because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, you have the Son indwelling within you, and you have the Father indwelling within you. You have the Holy Trinity, the one who made uh, everything by the word of his power indwelling within you. Little old you. So what this means, saints, is you are not alone. You are not isolated to yourself. This is what Jesus says in John fourteen twenty three. If anyone loves me, he will follow my word and my father will father will love him and we will come to him and make our indwelling within him or with him. Christ says, those who love me, we will come to the, and in that believer. By grace, as we heard this morning, the whole Trinity indwells the believer by sanctifying grace. The whole Trinity indwells the believer and why is it necessary for God to indwell the believer? I mean, couldn't God just save us without him indwelling us? I don't know if anyone's ever thought about that. Why couldn't God just give us grace and save us without any other persons indwelling within us? Well, among the many reasons, one of the reasons is for empowerment. Empowerment, to be empowered. For our mind to be raised to know God and for our wills to be bent and straightened to love God. For our minds to love, to know God and for our wills to be bent and to be straightened to love God. See, saints, God right now, by giving you his spirit, is empowering you to change from the inside out. And this is a gracious act of God, because what this says is we are not left to our own to work out our salvation. But rather And God knows, left to our own powers, we would lose our salvation. Left to our own strength, we will lose our salvation. So what God does is, from the very beginning, he predestines our salvation. He acts in time, accomplishes our salvation. And then in in further time, he gives us his spirit, and he brings us along to that final completion. I mean, this is wonderful what God does for us. At no point in salvation and redemptive history, with respect to the believer, does he leave the believer alone. He's always accompanying the believer from start to finish. So saints, 
when you say, you know, when I used to say and I continue to say, you know, I can't stop sinning or I can't stop doing this or I can't stop doing that with respect to our spiritual lives, we have to remember, as it was said this morning, who we are united to, who indwells within us, who indwells within us. We are, by the Spirit, united to Jesus Christ. We've been given a supernatural power because God indwells within us. The divine life lives within you. And what we do as Christ's prophets is we offer this divine life to others. So just as the prophets of the old were empowered by God, God the Father, through his Son and by his Spirit, empowers his prophets here on earth. You are empowered. You see, saints, what causes people to turn to Christ? It's not your intellectual arguments. It's not how many ways you can answer an objection, but rather it is being empowered by the Spirit to preach the gospel. And this is our, our, um, this is our, our second point, and that is, this is wonderful encouragement for us because just as the prophets had a word, we have a word. We have the gospel. I, I, I tell people sometimes who are scared to preach the gospel and scared to go out to share the gospel, do you know what the gospel is? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and when we consider all the great news in the world, what compares to this good news? What compares to this good news? But one of the things I love in closing is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and this is one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Now here Paul is just going to call out everyone. He's going to call out all the so-called smart people of the day, all the so-called philosophers, all the so-called scientists, atheists, whoever, uh, high-esteem academics. Where is the the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe. I mean, how many people tell you it is folly for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't find any evidence. You can't do this. You can't, you can't do that. The Bible is not reliable. Here Paul says that what we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it makes those who are smart folly. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. This simple message of a crucified Messiah, is what Paul says in verse 18, is the saving power of God. This message of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, death, and resurrection on the behalf of sinners, to bring them to salvation, this message that we preach is the saving power of God. You see, we tend to associate the gospel with the mercy of God and the grace of God, but saints, don't forget, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. There's there's power in those words because it is connected to the most powerful person in all of history, God himself. See, saints, what we need to understand about the gospel is the gospel of Christ is just not another way to get to heaven. The gospel of Christ is not just another theory of philosophy. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the saving power of God 
to those who believe in Jesus Christ alone. God uses the gospel to save his elect and to make foolish the world. And saints, you as Christ's prophets here on earth have been entrusted with this good news. So, finally in closing for the third time, go preach the gospel. You have his spirit. You have the word. Um, and Christ has promised that he will be with you if you are indwelt by the spirit. Let's pray.